This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at afsp.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we bring in a couple of great local journalists and news watchers to take us inside the biggest local and state stories of the week. Today on The Recap, Mayor Lightfoot sounding like former Mayor Emanuel. I'm offended that you asked me this question after my staff has told you repeatedly it's utter bull****. A vaccine scandal continues to unfold. The COO and CFO of Loretto Hospital has resigned. It follows yet another accusation that he paved the way for vaccines for ineligible people with connections. And COVID-19 numbers go back up in Chicago. Unfortunately, we have seen movement in the wrong direction on the four key metrics that we follow for reopening. Joining us for those stories and more, ABC7 political analyst and Chicago Sun-Times columnist, Laura Washington. Hey, Laura, welcome back. Great to be with you, thanks. Also with us is WTTW politics reporter Heather Sharon. Hey, Heather. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Great to hear you, your voice again. Uh, I want to start, folks, with the latest on COVID-19 here in our region, because yesterday... Chicago updated its reopening plan with changes to outdoor capacity limits. Heather, what's the latest there? Well, the latest is is that there has been a pretty significant increase in the confirmed number of COVID-19 cases in Chicago, as well as the number of hospitalizations, or I should say emergency room visits from people with COVID-19-like symptoms. So that meant that the city said it wasn't possible to increase indoor capacity, but at the same time, they said all of the science shows that it is much safer to gather outdoors. So they are expanding capacity for people to eat outdoors and to gather outdoors. So now you can sit at a table of up to 10 people at an outdoor restaurant Mm -hmm. and gatherings like weddings can have up to 100 people. I'm confused, Laura, because this seems like a mixed message. On the one hand, they're warning about rising case numbers, but as Heather pointed out, they're also loosening restrictions. What are your thoughts? Well, the the mayor has to strike a balance here because, first of all, she's under tremendous pressure and has been for many months from the business community that really, you know, many of these businesses, particularly restaurants and bars, are on lifeline. So she's trying to, uh, you know, make sure that people have access to commerce in the city. Because the rising cases seem to be connected to people who gather indoors, she's saying, look, outside is much safer. So she's trying to create another opportunity for people who cannot, because the businesses can't be open indoors, they have them open outdoors. And that, help, that does help some restaurants and bars. It does help some event 
locations. The, the challenge, though, is we're still, I mean, this is March. It's still cold outside. Yeah. So it's, um, it's unclear how many people or how many businesses are going to be able to take advantage of this opportunity, at least for the time being. But I think it's, it's all about being able to throw a lifeline, being able to send, send a message, say, we're hearing you, we're, we're listening to you, we want to help in any way we can. Well, Chicago Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwoody says one particular age group may be driving the recent spike in cases. Let's listen. The biggest thing driving this is increases in cases in our younger adults. And I want to highlight that, unfortunately, these sorts of increases are just what we were seeing in October. Heather, you've been reporting on a fourth more transmissible COVID variant that was discovered in our state. How does that factor into reopening plans? Well, it certainly is giving state health officials a a good deal of pause. So this more transmissible variant was first discovered in uh, Southern California in Los Angeles County, and it is believed to have been responsible for the significant surge in cases in that area. I should say that the most prevalent variant of COVID-19 in Illinois right now is the more transmissible variant that was first found in the United Kingdom. There are 188 cases of that variant in Illinois, and that has doubled in the past 14 days. Hmm. And that, I think, is what state officials are, are most focused on. So where do we need to be in order for the city to start closing things up again? Uh, Well, you know, that is a good point. Um, Up until about two weeks ago, the state was focused on setting new standards for when things could open up more. And that really has fallen by the wayside as state health officials and local health officials really turned their attention to basically stopping this most recent increase in cases. Are you getting the sense, Laura, that people are just letting their guard down? Like, is this COVID fatigue? Again, I think it's I think it's or some of that. I think it's a combination of things. The city has said that they think that for perhaps the St. Patrick's Day celebrations that we just recently had uh, contributed to this. Uh, you know, holidays come up. People want to get out. We'll see a real test in the next week or two because we've got Passover. We've got Easter. We've got a number of, of, of holidays and, and, and places times where people want to gather in groups when they want to gather with families. And it it seems like the challenge is mostly among young people. Earlier this year, the Mm -hmm. message was you have to be safe because you have to protect your elders. You you don't want to be around your grandmother. Well, grandmother's got the vaccine now, so maybe the attitude is, well, you know, those folks are okay, so I could play too. And I think that's it's adding up to why the numbers are rising. Let's turn now to the controversy surrounding Loretto Hospital on Chicago's west side. The city cut off its supply of doses after Block Club Chicago revealed executives were letting well-connected people skip the vaccine line. Shout out to Block Club Chicago's Kelly Bauer for this great work. And now at least one of those executives has resigned. Laura, seems like there's a new scandal here every day. <laughs> and Block Club has been on it. And, and full disclosure, I'm very proud to serve on Block Club's board, and they've been really all over this story. But, of course, WBZ has had a piece of it, too. We sure yes, have. Loretto can't seem to get a hold of, of this story. The critics say that they haven't been as forthcoming. They've misrepresented some of the earlier events. Um, they've had to backtrack on issues. They they just they decided to discipline their COO, and then later in the week they ended up having to uh, – or well, he, he was – he he apparently resigned, probably because he was asked to resign. So they have not been able to come clean. The mayor has been very adamant about the fact that she doesn't feel that 
even though the city has made, made many demands of, of the hospital in terms of information and clarity, that we still don't know the truth of everything that happened in Loretto, and she's asking for an outside investigation. So I think there's more to come on this. What more can you tell us, Heather, about this independent investigation that the mayor's called for? Well, it doesn't exist as of yet, and the way hospitals are regulated in Illinois is really complicated. There are significant questions about who got those vaccines and whether they were properly accounted for. The problem is is that the mayor doesn't have any authority over Loretto Hospital. The hospital is not overseen by the Chicago Department of Health, which has left really the only thing that the mayor has control of is cutting off the hospital's supply of vaccine. And it's clear from both her remarks and those of Dr. Allison Arowity, the commissioner of the Department of Public Health, that uh, that is not going to restart anytime soon. It's worth noting again, I know we've said this a few times here on this show, these doses were intended for Westside residents who are still struggling to get vaccinated. Laura, this could have real life and death consequences for a community that's already disproportionately impacted by this virus. It's a troubling thing. A year after we've been having conversations about uh, racial and economic inequities in healthcare. Here we have a hospital whose sole mission or primary mission is to eliminate those kinds of inequities. It's in the middle of this kind of a scandal. And more scandal this week, it was also revealed that Innovative Express Care, which is the company in charge of vaccinating CPS employees, they knowingly misallocated 6,000 vaccines. Heather, how do these incidents reflect on the city and on our mayor? She is ultimately responsible for getting the vaccine sent from the federal government to the city's health department into the arms of the people who are most at risk for severe illness and death from COVID-19. And there's no doubt that she chose a company to administer vaccines to Chicago public schools, teachers and staff members that ultimately failed to get the job done appropriately, according to her. Now, the company says that they've done nothing wrong and that they were simply trying to get as many vaccine doses in as many people's arms as possible. But it's clear that the city does not believe that they followed those rules and essentially used any vaccine that wasn't immediately claimed to vaccinate other people who weren't Chicago public schools workers. It's a mess. This was a $5 million contract and left many Chicago public schools workers scrambling Mm. to make sure that they could get their second dose on time. The mayor also ripped into NBC Chicago reporter Marianne Ahern during a call with reporters for asking if any members of her staff got vaccinated at Loretto. She said that the rumor was, quote, utter BS. But the mayor used the longer version of BS, if you you get my drift. Laura, a reporter's job is to ask questions. What do you make of the mayor's response here? You said it very well. Uh, Marianne Ahern said she was offered to ask this question. It's a fair question. All the mayor has to do is say, no, it's absolutely not true. It makes you wonder why she is so sensitive and why she reacted so strongly to the question. It's a legitimate one, especially given the fact that, as Heather says, she ultimately is responsible for how this vaccine is administered. And if there's any any question out there about her own staff or, or her own administration, you would think she'd want to be very adamant about clearing it up. But there's a history with the mayor in terms of having a little bit of a a trigger temper when she is challenged. This has happened with city council members during city council meetings. It's happened with with the labor unions like the CTU and the the, uh, police union. So she can be a little bit disagreeable when she's faced with criticism.
That's Laura Washington from The Sun-Times and ABC7. Also with us today is Heather Sharon of WTTW. Heather, Laura, there's plenty more to talk about, like this week's city council meeting. Alderman passed several measures, including new rules to reduce air pollution on the south and west sides. Heather, what can you tell us about that? This was a proposal first made by the mayor almost six months ago that would have really tightened restrictions on industrial developments that had the potential to pollute air and water, uh, mostly air, in areas of the city that are hardest hit by pollution. And by that, I mean the south and the west sides, where every study shows that the air is significantly dirtier than areas of the north side and downtown. This measure was blocked by aldermen, and it really sort of faced criticism from all sides before it eventually passed it. Some aldermen said it would hurt businesses. Other aldermen said it wasn't doing enough to prevent pollution. And finally, the version that passed was significantly changed even from that initial ordinance to make sure that businesses weren't disincentivized from coming to Chicago. And one of the biggest changes was that it no longer applied to industrial warehouses like the kind that Amazon and Target are using to cover that last mile from two people's houses. Mm -hmm. And that has, of course, been a big uh, flashpoint in neighborhoods like Little Village, where they're really concerned about what the truck traffic will mean in a neighborhood that is already densely populated by industrial operations that are polluting. There was also a call for Mayor Lightfoot to use COVID relief funds to send residents cash, and that triggered a debate for reparations in city council. This also comes at the time when Evanston became the first city in the nation to offer reparations to Black residents. Laura, what are your thoughts on whether Chicago could be next? Well, if Chicago is next, in the view of many, it's long overdue. You know, reparations has been discussed at city council level for decades, going back, I believe, to Alderman Dorothy Tillman, the the very well-known Southside alderman who championed for this during her time in office. It's been on and off the table. And I I imagine some folks are thinking, you know, they're looking north to Evanston and saying that the African-American community is much bigger and more robust in Chicago, and there's a lot more political clout. Right. particularly on the city council in, in, in Chicago. If Evanston can do it, why can't we? Heather, any other news out of Wednesday's city council that we should pay attention to? Well, there was a really interesting debate, I thought, about another non-binding resolution. This one, which had been originally proposed by Alderman Maria Haddon um, from the north side to mark Indian Independence Day. And the city council passes a lot of these sort of honorary resolutions without a whole lot of teeth in them. But this one really became a flashpoint of controversy in Chicago's Indian American community because it criticized the current government and the current prime minister for basically discriminating on the basis of religion. And it just turned into just a months-long debate that sucked up a lot of time during public comment and then eventually was rejected by the city council for concerns that it would just sort of exacerbate these tensions. And there were some aldermen who were really disappointed that the city council really declined to forcefully stand up for democracy and the equal treatment of religious minorities. And it will be interesting to see what sort of aftershocks that debate has going forward. Let's turn now to Chicago public schools. A lot going on there. A new survey found that only a third of all CPS high school students are actually opting to go back to class next month. Laura, what are your thoughts on the response that we're seeing from students and their parents at this point? 
it underlines the continuing uncertainty we just discussed earlier, uh, all the concerns about a possible surge in COVID and, and the fact that people still don't feel safe. There's so many parents whose job situations and personal situations are still uncertain. It's very difficult to make decisions in, in this climate. And I think some parents are sensitive to the fact that the CTU and the mayor almost came, went to war again, almost ended up in a strike earlier this year over the reopening of the schools. So they're wondering and worrying if, you know, in fact, the high schools will reopen in, in mid-April, and they're not willing to take a chance on it. So many of them are opting out, figuring out that this, the current situation is better than the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Laura, the majority of those opting in to the in-person learning, it's disproportionately white people. That's what I understand, and that's been an, an issue all along. And and the issue there is that white parents tend to have more access to opportunity to child care. They're more likely to be in, in a financially comfortable position and the communities that are being hardest hit continues to be hardest hit by COVID or people of color. And so it's understandable there would be a lot more uncertainty and fear in those communities. CPS is hoping to bring high school students back to the classroom by April 19th. That's the first day of the fourth quarter. But negotiations with the Chicago Teachers Union are still ongoing. Heather, is, is this going to be another battle? Because they haven't even really settled on that date, from what I understand. Right. Right. It's very much up in the air because it is a lot more difficult to bring high school students back to school because you can't group them in pods as the district has been able to do with elementary and middle school students. High school students, of course, change classes every period. So that really is a significant logistical challenge because then if one person tests positive for COVID-19, how do you decide who needs to quarantine? And just a whole host of questions uh, going down from there. So uh, I don't know whether that April 19th date will stick, but let's not forget that the school year is coming to a rapid close Mm -hmm. in mid-June. So there's not a whole lot of time to move one way or the other, although the mayor has been very committed to trying to get as many students back in in, in in-person class as possible. Laura, this week, the district also announced that the class of 2021 will not have to take the SATs as a graduation requirement. Many colleges have actually made SAT and ACT tests optional for applicants because of the pandemic. Talk about the significance of this decision. Well, it's another example of the deficit of how difficult it's been to have normalcy in education right now. We all know about the SAT. Most of the country, when you get out of high school, especially if you want to go to college, you got to do that SAT. Right. And the fact that it's not being offered is just, in many ways, very shocking. And and I'm, I wonder what long-term repercussions this is going to have on, on the education system. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, before I let you go, Laura, quickly tell us what stories you're going to be watching for in the coming days. I'm going to be watching the, the Loretto Hospital debacle, but I wouldn't be surprised if there aren't other institutions, hospitals or other institutions out there that have responsibilities related to the distribution of vaccines where we're going to be hearing about problems cropping up. I suspect that Loretto is not an isolated situation. What about you, Heather? Well, uh, on Monday, the city will expand its rules for vaccine eligibility. So if you work in a frontline job or if you have an underlying health condition, regardless of your age, you will be eligible for the vaccine. Uh, The trick, of course, will be finding a vaccine appointment because the supply is very limited. And it will be interesting to see uh, how many people are are, are able to schedule and whether that uh, vaccination uh, 
administration really ramps up as we keep a close eye on that daily case count and hospitalization rate. And one more thing, probably the most important question of the day, Heather, are you rooting for Loyola tomorrow? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up in Edgewater, so uh, Loyola is basically my, my home team. Nice. So uh, go Ramblers. What about you, Laura? It's great. We need some fun. We need some victories uh, right now in, in the midst of COVID. So I'm all, I'm all for it. Go Ramblers. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for the weekly news recap. Thank you so much to our panel today. That was Laura Washington of the Chicago Sun-Times and ABC7 and Heather Sharon of WTTW. That's it for this week's recap. And remember, you'll have a bonus podcast waiting in your feed Sunday morning. Infectious disease expert Dr. Mia Teramina updates us on the virus, the vaccines, and answers listener questions. That's Sunday morning right here on this feed. Until then, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.